This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome in, my friends, to another episode of Behind the Pen. My name is Mike Rankin, and I'll be your host for today's show, and I am by myself. But that's okay, because I have a plethora of different topics I'd love to share with you this evening. And it is an evening, a summer evening. Happy June, everybody. Everybody who's listening, I hope you're enjoying the warm weather wherever you are. Or, you know, maybe it's cold. I don't know. Is Alaska warm this time? It has to be, right? I want to go to Alaska one of these days. But anyway, June 1st means that baseball season is about two months in, right? And now things are starting to flow. The initial 40 games, 50 games of the Major League Baseball season are done and over with. And now we can actually look at legitimate numbers, actually look at trends, and decide, okay, who is legitimate contenders now two months into the season? Of course, it is still relatively early, but we're starting to get to the point where the conversation of, oh, it's still early, is null and void. So, got a lot of baseball conversation to have with you all tonight. We also have Chicago Bears talk, of course. They signed Victor Cruz. I'm excited to talk to you guys about that. I'll give you my thoughts, and I'll pretty much focus on the wide receiver core for the Bears in this episode. But first, got to get through the necessities. As always, give a like, comment down below. If you could, subscribe. Most Valuable Podcast on YouTube. Guys, thank you so much for the support. Of course, it's always fantastic to hear any feedback, any sort. If you would wish to, send me a question. If it's baseball-related, I would love to talk about it on this show. Just leave it down below, and we'll have a conversation together. We really appreciate all of you coming in and doing your thing here at Most Available Podcast. If you want to listen to this entire podcast, go to blogtalkradio.com backslash behind the pen. You'll find it. You can sit here and you know listen to me for about 45 minutes to an hour, potentially you know a little shorter than that in terms of time span, but... Happy you're here with me, and I'm looking forward to getting into this episode. Like I said, this is going to be a baseball segment to start the show. We're going to look at a plethora of different topics, as I mentioned in the intro. Let's start. Well, let me just list them for you. Albert Pujols is chasing 600 home runs. By the time this is posted, he may have already hit his 600 home run, but it's pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point. Is he one of the greatest hitters of all time? Absolutely. I'd like to dive into that conversation a little bit and kind of share with you some of the numbers and some of the things as to why he's had so much success in Major League Baseball. Also, there was a brawl in Washington, in San Francisco. It wasn't in why it was in San Francisco, but my goodness, Bryce Harper, Hunter Strickland going at each other, charging the mound. Nothing better than physicality in baseball, right? Or is it? I will dive into that conversation as well. And plus, I have to look in-depth at the Major League Baseball standings now as June has officially begun. Let's get right into it, huh? Because I'm ready to go. All right. First things first. Albert Pujols is attempting to get his 600th home run here in the foreseeable future, probably sooner rather than later, and I just want to give him his due. Now, I'm sure he's got a few years left in in his game, right? 37 years old with the Los Angeles Angels, signed that big-time 10-year contract. Let's see, back when, what was that, 2012? So, I mean, he's still got to play it out, or he could just cut and run and retire. You know, a two-time World Series champion, three-time MVP. My goodness. You know, Albert Pujols, when he came into the league, when he broke in with St. Louis, played in 161 games with the Cardinals and absolutely dominated 
batted 329 with a 1013 OPS. Finished rookie of the year, of course, in that season. He was top five in MVP voting, an all star. First 10 seasons, he was an all star nine times. The one time he was not an all star was in 2002, and he finished second. MVP voting. I don't know what happened there midseason. Maybe he was, well, he wasn't hurt. Played in 157 games, but maybe he struggled through the first half. I don't know. The point is, Albert Pujols absolutely dominated with the Cardinals, and he was just consistently at the top of the league in almost every statistical category in terms of, of a hitter. And one of the reasons why he's been so dominant as a hitter is because when you look at him at the plate, right, it's just such a simple swing. Everything just comes so free and natural to, to Albert Pujols. The way he sets up in the box, nothing too fancy, nothing over dramatic. He's very short and quick to the ball, but my gosh, he's got so much power. And when you look at his numbers in terms of his career numbers, I'm looking at OPS, which is on base plus slugging percentage, in all of baseball, all of Major League Baseball. One, two, three. Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Lou Gehrig. They had an OPS up over one. Albert Pujols sits 17 right now with a career .9597 OPS. That's 17th. In terms of history of baseball, this guy is 17th in on-base plus slugging. He's, he's taking walks, gets on base, he provides power. 600 home runs. It's common, ladies and gentlemen. When you look, when you look at one of the greatest hitters of the game, Albert Pujols is in that conversation Alongside him, guys that come to mind, Ken Griffey Jr. during that era, Miguel Cabrera during that era, Manny Ramirez, how about even Larry Walker, right? Joey Votto, Todd Helton, guys who were instrumental to their team's success, especially at the plate, carried them to a World Series, or at least helped them to get there, right? Because some of the guys mentioned haven't actually won a World Series, however, They were instrumental pieces to their team. And, of course, they're instrumental pieces to Major League Baseball because why? Baseball must market its most productive players. And what do they want to target about the game? Are they going to talk about defense? How incredibly awesome a shortstop is in terms of range and arm strength? Or pitching? Starting pitching, how dominant he is, right? I think it's more offense. I think that goes with every single sport. You talk about basketball, football, baseball, hockey— it's all about the scoring, man, right? When you're looking at it, who, who's going to throw a 50-yard touchdown bomb, right? Well, that, that's the highlight you want to see. That's the most exciting highlight you want to see. And in baseball, you want to see guys split the gap on a line. You want to see a guy put one outside the ballpark. Albert Pujols is about to do it 600 times in his career. But overall, baseball can market these guys because they're offensively successful. And that draws in more eyes. So they get a shout-out. Because they're a big part of the reason why Major League Baseball can kind of run with what they want to do. But when you're looking at Albert Pujols specifically in the postseason, and I don't know, is he going to be back and make another postseason? Angels are going to have to do him a favor eventually because, my goodness, I don't know what's going on in Los Angeles on that side of town, but boy, are they mediocre. So maybe 2014 is the last time we've seen where we're going to see one of the greatest hitters of all time participate in the postseason. You never know. I'm not sure anybody's going to want to trade for that contract anytime soon. If anything, he retires before he's 41, 42, when his contract is eventually up. But the point being is, are you going to really remember Albert Pujols for his performances in the playoffs? Yes, because he's been there a lot. But 
I asked that question because David Ortiz is going to go down as one of the greatest postseason performers of all time, if not the best, most clutch. And when I look at Albert Pujols, he showed up. 19 home runs in 77 postseason games. Eight years of postseason baseball because he's always there. And Albert Pujols was a main reason. Of course, the Cardinals were absolutely dominant that NL Central for a long time. Astros were pretty competitive in the early 2000s, and then they fell off. The Brewers, late 2000s, were pretty competitive. The Cubs made a couple runs in 07 and 08. I mean, they were kind of taken seriously in 09 as well. So you look at the Cardinals' absolute dominance, and one of the reasons, of course, Albert Pujols, but I say the 19 home runs in 77 games, in two World Series wins, 06 and 11, 2011, with the Cardinals, combined for four homers in the World Series alone. And he showed up. As I said, you guys, when you look at a performer, sometimes the postseason you see something completely different from his career numbers. Albert Pujols, a career 323 hitter with a 1030 OPS in eight postseason years. So hats off to you, Albert Pujols. It's actually been a pleasure to watch and continue to watch you go to work at the plate. One of the best and most pure hitters the game has ever seen. Short, simple stroke, so much power in that frame. He's just an absolute monster, and I'm rooting for him. Let's see how far he can get. The man is 37 years old. Right now he ranks ninth in home runs. Above him is Sammy Sosa. He has 609. Jim Tomey has 612. And Ken Griffey Jr. has 630. Willie Mays, 660. And that was five. Can Albert Pujols catch Willie Mays? Maybe. If he plays three more seasons, probably hits 20 home runs each season. He could probably do it. I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest. He could do it. Albert Pujols can get up to the top five. Alex Rodriguez retired with 696. Now that's probably a long shot. He would have to play an extra few seasons, maybe play out that contract. But you never know. People like Albert Pujols never cease to amaze me. And I hope he never leaves the game, even though it's inevitable. But Albert Pujols, you're an absolute monster. You know who else is a monster? And this is going to transition into the next conversation I'd like to have. We're sticking to baseball. You know who else is a monster? Hunter Strickland. You know why Hunter Strickland's a monster? Because he can throw the ball 100 miles an hour at will. And as a pitcher, you have control of the pace of play because you dictate the ball going in play, right? Can't happen until the pitcher throws the ball towards the catcher. And sometimes it's towards the batter. And this time, in this instance, Hunter Strickland threw directly at Bryce Harper. Apparently the reason was because Harper hit two bombs off of him three years ago, which is, in my opinion, absolutely ridiculous. But that's dangerous. A guy like Hunter Strickland gets that ball up and in, you're dead. Hits you square in the face, goodbye. Lights go out, that's it. It's over for you. And that's part of the reason why I'm kind of on the side of baseball's unwritten rules, right? Players policing themselves in the game kind of against that kind of whole unwritten rule mantra, this nonsense, because it's dangerous. You're putting guys at risk. You're sitting there as a hitter, and a guy throws 100 miles an hour behind you. Oh, wow. What is that? Wow. My goodness. But in this situation, that's kind of going to where I'd like to take this conversation to, is starting with Bryce Harper charging the mound. Now, Strickland plunks Harper for a stupid reason, holding a grudge in a game that, in a regular season game that doesn't matter. After it happened three years ago, you got beat, whatever. They advanced in that round of the playoffs. You know, but Washington eventually got knocked out. I, 
personal vendettas in baseball. It's weird. Baseball players, weird. So this happens. Then a brawl occurs, which it was extremely entertaining. Probably the most entertaining brawl since Rufnet Odor and Jose Bautista, right? But Harper comes charging out to the mound, rips his helmet off, tries to throw it at him, loses the grip, helmet goes flying. Then they start throwing fists. Harper gets punched. Strickland gets punched. Then here comes Jeff Samarja running into his teammate on frame, which was insane. It's hilarious. That's my favorite part of the brawl. But, you know, okay, so is the question, well, is Bryce Harper right in that situation? Of course he is. Of course he is. Now, the next question I'd like to ask you is, are you entertained by this part of the game of baseball? Because Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball right now is trying to become more progressive in the game, and and player safety, of course, is a huge concern. They took away the slide at second base. You have to slide directly at the base. You can't overslide second base or else you're out and then the hitter is out as well. So there's a lot of conversation about that rule specifically saying, okay, well, they're Major League Baseball players. They're capable of getting out of the way of a guy sliding in because they, well, they've played the game all their lives. They're super athletic. They're Major League Baseball players. You're telling me that they can't get out of the way. Yeah, well, you know, Chase Utley didn't get out of the way. Ruben Tejada didn't get out of the way. It was Chase Utley's fault, by the way, of course, but that's what I'm saying. You talk about the home plate collisions, Buster Posey breaks his leg. People are saying, ooh, it's part of the game. And I mock it because, you know, it's that's the main argument. One of the main arguments, at least, against the rule. Oh, it's part of the game. You're, you're taking away baseball's roots. I'm, I'm all for making the game safer for everyone. And the collision rule at home plate isn't completely taken away. Now, there are some aspects of that rule which don't make sense to me, of course. And it really frustrates the game, in a sense, because you're going to go to replay just to see if a catcher's in the right position to receive the ball at home play. You know what I'm saying? So it, it gets a little dicey, but it's still in its early stages. Baseball is moving in the right direction because you have to adapt. Adapt or die, right? So is the brawl in baseball good for the game? And I asked that question, and I think it is, honestly. The thing, though, that I want absolutely nothing to do with anymore is this fake, all right, bench is clear, here comes one dugout, here comes the other, there's a giant pushing and shoving match, everybody's yelling at each other, acting all hard, and then it gets, oh, here come the bullpens, left field bullpen clears out, right field bullpen clears out, there's more people yelling and screaming. One color's red, one color's blue, and they're just rabble, 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 back and forth, and that's all that happens. The dust settles, the guy gets kicked out here and there, maybe the manager's gone, and then they resume the rest of the game. It's just a bunch of nonsense, Right, but this is raw emotion. And I'm not saying that you know how whatever caused the benches cleared, clearing whatever conversations being had between the two teams isn't raw emotion. But I'm talking about immediate reaction. Same with rest in peace, your Donovan Ventura. When Machado got nailed in the hip, and Machado said, "Screw this, I'm coming at you, dude," and he couldn't even move because Ventura was another guy who threw 100 miles an hour, and you get clunked, you're pissed. And it's funny, it's really funny to me, when a catcher doesn't hold back the player that's charging the mound. Because uh, in Salvador Perez's case with the Royals, didn't hold back Machado, and he would have been protecting Ventura, his teammate. They just kind of let it happen. In this case, Buster Posey probably could have stopped Harper, right? He could have grabbed him, but it would have, I don't know, I don't know how that would have played out, probably poorly for everybody involved because Harper was a full head of steam there. 
but he didn't, and they allowed it to happen, which is awesome in my opinion. I love that part of the game. Baseball is very entertaining to me, but that's because I feel like it's justified in some in some ways. You know what I'm trying to say here? When a guy gets mad over something that you did in the past and you retaliate by putting him in danger, right? Intentionally throwing at him with a 100-mile-an-hour pitch, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not about that. I'm absolutely not about that. And if a player wants to respond in the way that Harper did and Machado did, I'm all for it. I'm absolutely all for it. That's that's a lot of fun in terms of uh, me because I'm not there and I'm not getting my face punched in. I want to throw that question out to you, though. And that's kind of why I wanted to have this conversation. I mentioned a lot about Major League Baseball and its kind of perception of the way things are changing. I, I put that poorly, but you know what I'm trying to say when – you know, the physicality is trying to be taken down a notch here, but of course you're not going to take the physicality out of masculine athletes, masculine men who are all full of testosterone and dip, right? So is it good for baseball? What happened to Bryce Harper? Well, I think it's have we have the, I think it's we have this conversation. We have to have this conversation because Bryce Harper is one of the best that we've ever seen, and he's only what, twenty-four? He's the game's most iconic superstar right now. He, he and Trout highlight the, the crowd, right? So we're getting to that point. And, of course, we have to have a conversation if Bryce Harper's involved. I'm a fan of Bryce Harper, guys. I think he's incredible. I think as soon as he stepped on the field, I was like, yep, I'm all about it. The way he plays the game, the way he put on, like, 40 pounds one offseason and just killed it, hit 40 homers just out of nowhere. Because he's capable of that. He's capable of doing everything in the game. He's also capable of throwing down when he gets pissed, which was fun. It was fun to watch for me. So is it good for the game? Major League Baseball. I'm not about the pushing and shoving matches, right? I'm about Jose Batista taking a punch and getting up for round two. I'm all about Manny Machado, Bryce Harper reacting to emotion. I mean, one of the best highlights that you can see in the history of Major League Baseball are guys charging the mound, right? How about Nolan Ryan beating the hell out of Robin Ventura? You know what I'm saying? How about what I forget who drop kicked the catcher's mask? My that was brutal. That was very dangerous. Maybe not that extreme. But that was well, that's always I laugh, right? But you know, in a context, that is pretty funny. <laughs> a guy just, you know, says, Nope, kick, charge, we're doing this, dropping the gloves. And speaking of, I mean, hey, hockey. Hockey's Trying to get that part out of the game, right? But fans love it. Fans love the physicality. So, on a baseball, is it worth it? Is it good for the game for what we've seen this weekend? I think it is. I think it has to be, right, guys? Because look at all the publicity. Baseball is always about the headlines that will draw attention to its sport because it's like, hey, baseball's here too, NFL, NBA fans. We're here too. Come check us out. So anyway, I thought it was awesome. I had to mention it. I had to talk about it. Just wanted to give you some thoughts about it. Let me know what you think down below. And we will have a larger discussion later next week. If you give me something, I'll read it on air. So let me know. We're going to transition, though, now into Major League Baseball's actual standings. The legitimate standings because we are entering June right now. And it's June 1st as we record this podcast. And I'm just going to run through standings real quick. Because I don't know, I'm uh, I'm looking at these teams, and I just I'm not sure if I can safely pick a winner in every division. I think the Nationals are a lock. 
They're just starting to run away with the, the National League East. The Mets are a disaster. Uh, the Braves are starting to get there. I think the Braves have something cooking. Marlins, meh, Philly's bad. But, you know, we all assumed that the Phillies were going to be at this level. They got some pieces, though, that they can be excited about. So when, when you're a team rebuilding, if there's something that you can look forward to and you can say, well, the losing now is actually for the purpose of the future and it benefits the franchise and me as a fan maybe in like five years. Unfortunately, it sucks because baseball is such a grind and you have to commit so many hours into it, right? It's unlike any other sport. 162-game schedule is unbelievable because one week you'll check out your favorite team and be like, wow, they're terrible. This is bottom 15 team in baseball in terms of batting average. One week goes by, especially early in the season, and all of a sudden they're in the top 15 in batting average. Things change on a dot, so you always have to be up on your stuff. And, oh, the Mets aren't. The Mets are terrible, guys. I mean, they just keep finding ways to get into the mainstream media in the wrong ways. Like, I'm looking at an article right now with the headline, Mets issue statement after Mr. Met caught making lewd gesture to fan. Mr. Met, the mascot. Anyway, anyway, not spending much time on the Mets because I, as a Cubs fan, enjoy the Mets failing. All right, we're looking at the National League standings. I already said, you know, Washington's national, the Nationals were running away with it pretty much. It sucks that they lost Adam Eaton. It's just awful. I'm not sure what they're going to do by the deadline. Everybody talking about a closer. Potentially a lot of names available. Uh, the, they may match up with the White Sox for David Robertson. I'm not sure if you want to go that route again. But, I mean, there there are plenty of options. And we're going to do here on Behind the Pen a show for sure by the trade deadline once that gets cooking. Of course, it's the best time of year for baseball. But ways away still. Got to get to the All-Star break first. Got to get through June. This is when the really midsummer months start to take shape and really influence who's going to emerge as legitimate contenders in Major League Baseball. Legitimate contenders in the NL Central, guys, that is so mediocre, this damn division. It is Brewers, Cardinals, Cubs, Reds, Pirates, all separated by five games. And the Pirates, 24-30, and 30, Brewers, 29-25 in first place. Cubs, 25-27, and 27, very underwhelming this year. Cardinals, 26-25, and 25, and the Reds, 24-28. and 28. That that is just so blah right now, and 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 a lot of the reason for that, I I like the Brewers. I have to give the Brewers some credit because they they're starting to build something in Milwaukee that Brewers fans can, especially when you look at their position players. They they have depth there, and they have well they're starting to develop starting pitching, but they have capable of position players. When they picked up Travis Shaw to fill that third place, I, I was surprised. I know they gave up Tyler Thornburg, I believe it was, the reliever. He was a nasty reliever to Boston. But I was so surprised that Boston was willing to give up Travis Shaw because the guy's killing it. The guy's a beast. He was beast in Boston, lost some playing time late in the season for whatever reason. I guess they just didn't want to commit to him. And now he's in Milwaukee making the most of an opportunity. So he's a key piece. Keon Broxton starting to emerge. I'm, I would be very excited. I know you are Brewers fans. He's a great player. Jonathan VR. Eric Thames, of course, emerging. Jet Bandy. Jet Bandy was one of the better hitters in the game for the first two months of the season. So I don't know if that team's going to—it's I probably it's not probably going to happen. But the Brewers right now are worthy enough to say, hey, we're good enough to take first place in early June. So that's something. But it's got to be right in that division. Cubs-Cardinals, one of the two. If Brewers can maintain this pace, I don't know. You know, it could be interesting come August, but I would assume that things start to level out. But, man— Cubs have some serious issues right now. They do not look good. So I'm going to just continue to assume it's going to be Cubs-Cardinals until otherwise. If this stuff continues, then I have to change my mind. 
When we go to the NL West, that is a very, very competitive division. Colorado, Arizona, Dodgers, all separated by a half game right now. 22 losses apiece, 33 and 34 wins for each team. My goodness. Diamondbacks, did you guys see this coming in Arizona? Did you? I mean, they were probably a fringe competitor, but they're being legitimate here. 21 and 8 at home. Holy cow. And Colorado, of course, coming in. And speaking of home and away splits, Rockies 19 and 9 on the road. So much for that Colorado Rocky air, huh? But we're looking at that team. And of course, that lineup's killing it. But their rotation is starting to take shape. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Colorado Rockies can eventually be contenders. If not this year, then definitely next year, right? You have the Tyler brothers, Chadwood and Anderson, plus Antonio Sensatella and Kyle Freeland. Kyle Freeland, uh, both Sensatella and Freeland, young pitchers, 24 and 22. Man, this Rockies team is for sure loaded with valuable pieces. So I'm very interested to see. And plus, they have a close with Greg Holland. He's been one of the best in the game. He's also a guy who may be up for grabs. Maybe flip him for value at the deadline if you're Colorado. Or if you're competitive, go and run with it. Make a move. Maybe trade a, gar- a, a cargo. Hey, I don't know. But they have pieces to play around with. And that's the point. The position player value is unbelievable right now. And they, they're loaded. Rockies are loaded. And when you look at also another team that is starting to kind of take shape. They, they First of all, Diamondbacks dug themselves in a hole, right? A few years ago, GM got fired. New regime finally starting to take shape. They didn't really know what the hell they were doing in that front office. Now they're starting to become competitive. Sucks that they lost Dansby Swanson despite the fact that, you know, he's struggling in Atlanta to start his rookie season. Technically, he's still a rookie. So, but this pitching staff, of course, Zach Granke's an ace. You have to rely on Zach Granke. You're going to, and he's been pretty much carrying the load. But it's really awesome to see Patrick Corbin come back after being hurt for a lot of his early, the early part of his career. Last two seasons, I believe he was dealing with injury. I think when he first came up in his rookie season, he really impressed a lot of people around Major League Baseball, fans around Major League Baseball, whatever. And right now he's been killing it. Right now Slater, the number two starter since our boy Shelby Miller's on the 60-day DL. Boy, Shelby Miller. But Robbie Ray and Ruben Delgado, how about it? Closing up that back end of the rotation, doing mighty fine there in Arizona. Hey, by the way, um, Diamondbacks fans, TJ McFarland acquired from the Orioles in the offseason after they let him go. How about it? Killing it as a reliever. He can even start for you. I'm rooting for him. He is a local guy here in Chicago. I also went to the same high school as TJ McFarland, so shout out to my high school. Uh, I'm just mentioning that because he's killing it. A sub-1 ERA, he's 3-0 on the season. So, TJ McFarlane, awesome left-handed reliever in the Diamondbacks bullpen. But overall, this Diamondbacks team, I'm happy for them. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Arizona Diamondbacks, especially after you know they eliminated the Cubs in the 07 NLDS in three games. I'm not saying, just saying. But Diamondbacks finally coming back to relevancy here, so that's a good thing to see. Giants and Padres. Padres, ah, that organization. I mean, they got you know Hunter Renfro. He's solid. Of course, Manuel Margot, yeah, he's he's pretty good. They have they have some pieces there, San Diego, but other than that, yikes. And then San Francisco, underwhelming, not good. If you're a fan of the Giants, who were prominent for like six straight seasons, even more than that, now they're in the cellar, and they were supposed to be contenders, right? Went to the NLDS last year. What's going on, San Francisco? On to the American League and the Yankees leading the way in the East, 31 and 20, 
followed by Boston 29-24, Baltimore 28-24, Rays 29-27. How about them Rays? Keep an eye on the Rays. They're probably going to be players at the deadline. Not really going to try and buy, but actually get value. And that's the point. Small market team. They got some expiring contracts. They got some value. Let's see what they do. Keep an eye on them. They got some pitchers that other teams are going to need. Chris Archer, anyone? But how about the Toronto Blue Jays coming out of nowhere? They're hot. 8-2 and in their last 10. Two games under 500 as we start June. They have four months to get back into this race. And they have the pieces to do it. After starting 2017, as awful as you can potentially start a season, they're back. And Estrada Stroman hat. They can they can run with that. It's unfortunate that Aaron Sanchez is still dealing with with injury and he was put on an innings limit and that was also another concern to Aaron Sanchez, one of the most dominant pitchers in the game in terms of stuff. What he has in his arsenal to get guys out, one of the nastiest combination of pitches I've ever seen and it's too bad that he has, he's always dealing with some sort of injury. But Donaldson's healthy now, Tulowitzki's Tulowitzki. I mean, I think you feel safe with him at the lineup no matter what what he's batting. Even though this season, pretty solid. You know, in 71 at-bats, he's getting there. It's going to take some time, but 32-year-old Tulowitzki's always dealing with injury concerns, so as long as he can stay on the field, he'll provide value for the Blue Jays at the plate. Kevin Pillar stepped up big time, right? They lost Encarnacion, and Kendry's Morales was a pretty savvy signing there because he can get you by. You know, I, providing some pretty pretty decent power for the Blue Jays this season. He's got 10 home runs, right? So that'll do. But you're looking at the Blue Jays and Kevin Pillar's not only one of the better center fielders, if not maybe the best center fielder in the American League. Should I say that? Mike Trout's a part of that. Jeez. Maybe Mike Trout gets, by the way, he's hurt. That sucks for him. Two months and it sucks for baseball. Kevin Kiermeyer made two errors in one game, possibly. But Kevin Pillar's definitely in that conversation. Adam Jones? Uh, he's always making highlight reel catches, and he's starting to produce at the plate. He's taken off this year offensively, so that's fun to see. And I, I, I had to talk about Toronto a little bit because they're not done yet. This team is going to be amid the uh, relevant teams here in Major League Baseball moving forward, at least you would assume. They did a good job getting back to relevancy. In the American League Central, Indians, Twins, Tigers, White Sox, Royals, pretty much where we would expect it. I'm... The only team that kind of emerged at the beginning of this season starting to see success is, of course, the Twins. You really didn't expect them to be in second place come June. However, with the AL Central being what it is, I guess nothing's really that surprising. The White Sox making big offseason moves. By the way, speaking of the White Sox, signing Luis Robert, a guy um, coming in from Cuba, and he's automatically slated as the top 25 prospect in their organization. So it's like they just traded... Someone from value or for value, acquired value, and what the White Sox are doing, that's a perfect move for this team. They didn't have to give up anybody. They just had to sign up, and they had a lot of cap in the international market to do so. White Sox are making moves. It's going to take a little bit, but they're getting there. And this year, they're honestly a pretty competitive team. And that's not really a surprise to some because they've been saying, well, we still have pretty solid pieces on this roster despite the lack of talent and despite the lack of Chris Sale and so on and so forth. But the White Sox, keep an eye on them because they're going to come back. But the Twins, probably going to come back to relevancy as well. By the end of the season, I assume they're among the bottom feeders of the Central. The Royals are terrible. They can't score any runs. Offense is putrid. The Tigers, um, I just hang around. Tigers fans, that's all I got for you.
Just hang around. And Cleveland, I think, is going to win that division handily. In the West, Astros. <laughs> That's the team to beat right now in baseball, huh? They just cannot be stopped. That rotation, unreal. That offense cannot be stopped. They're scoring 10 runs or more so often. That's a scary team. And hey, the Angels, very mediocre. What else is new? 28 and 28. Rangers, Mariners, A's. In the offseason, I said that the Rangers and Mariners would make a little bit of a run. I did pick Houston to win the West this season, but so far, not really going according to my prediction because, well, the Astros, 26 and 28. Mariners, 25 and 30. Obviously, not very close, but that'll do it. That's the rundown on June 1st. Right now, I'll look at the Major League Baseball standings. Pretty interesting. It's a lot of fun. Still a lot of baseball left and still a lot of conversations to be had. So let me know what your favorite team is down below in the comments. I'll focus on your specific team and I'll talk about them on next week's show. If you do so, uh, if you, you know, uh, oblige by my request, I will oblige your request with some conversations to be had. So please let me know what you think down below. Drop a like, comment, subscribe. As always, if you are on YouTube, but stay tuned if you're on Blog Talk Radio because I'm going to talk Chicago Bears football. Of course, that's why you're here on Behind the Pen because I love Bears football and I'm coming at you with Bears topics every single week. I do a show and I'm happy to bring this one in light again. I know on the onside kick, Mark and Ricky had a conversation about the recent Victor Cruz signing. I'm going to focus a lot on the wide receivers core for the Chicago Bears because I have to. Of course I have to. I talk about the Bears every week, and they bring in Victor Cruz. It's a big conversation. It's a big topic on hand, so I'm going to cover it. Of course I'm going to cover it. And I want to take a larger look at the wide receivers that the Bears have because, well, for a while before Victor Cruz, I'm not saying he's a huge upgrade or anything, but he's a, he provides value. I like this signing, and when you looked at it, there are a bunch of guys coming together. They have NFL experience, some more playmaking ability than others, others more of a safety cushion. You feel good about them working with a guy like Mike Lennon because they've been in the league. They understand route trees. They can help younger receivers. They can even help the quarterbacks, but I'm really excited specifically about this Victor Cruz signing because he has big play potential still. I mean, he's entering his age 31 season, I believe it is. And that's a guy who's had success. He's won a Super Bowl with the Giants, right? He's played in the playoffs, right? So he has experience. We talk about the value in that. But he's a guy who who works extremely hard, a guy who has knowledge of the game. He's worked with Eli Manning. He's developed a very nice repertoire with him on the field. And that's the thing, too. You have a a new offense, a new quarterback, a new set of receivers. You're not going to have this continuity with a guy like, for example, this is the first that comes to mind, of course, it's Cutler and Alshon. Alshon and Cutler have developed this kind of relationship where they knew where the ball was supposed to be put. And if a route breaks down, you know you can lob it up and make a play. Now Alshon Jeffrey's a playmaker, but Victor Cruz is coming off a couple seasons where he hasn't played. Last year he played in 12 games, or excuse me, he played in 15 games and didn't do terrible. I mean, he caught one touchdown, but the fact that he was on the field for 15 games, that's pretty solid. And this is coming off a year in which he didn't play at all in 2015. So right now the reports, the conversations being asked uh, to Victor Cruz and, and the conversation being had around the Chicago media is, well, does he have the big play ability the production that he had in his 2011, 2012, 2013 seasons, where he was racking up all these catches, uh, putting up almost a thousand yards, up over a thousand yards. 
I would probably venture to guess that he doesn't put up 1,000 yards this season. However, this is a guy who can get you some pretty solid production. And if the Bears do want to be semi-competitive, and I say semi-competitive because I am not going in and committing to saying that the Bears are going to be competitive this year fully. And I'm talking like 10 and 6 competitive, like I said last year. It's not they're not there yet. I said 6 and 10, but you know, maybe they surprise us because I think people are sleeping on Mike Lennon. And now Mike Lennon has some weapons to throw to as we look at this wide receiver core. Cameron Meredith, guys, I, I mention it a lot. I mention it each week whenever we talk wide receivers. He's not a number one, but he can be a very nice complimentary receiver. A number two, or if he can turn into a very interesting slot piece, he would have some value. I think he could play opposite of someone like an Alshon if the Bears decided to keep him. Of course, that's not the case. But a guy who can be there so maybe the number one receiver maybe comes in, you know, draws a double team, and Meredith is there to make the play. He's a very athletic receiver took incredible strides last season. He was definitely one of the positives. Just got to stay healthy. This receiver core, I don't know if they're going to stay healthy. Kendall Wright, Kevin White. Kevin White has to be on the field. And maybe this is the year. Again, for the third straight season, the Bears had two first-round draft picks because, my goodness, Kevin White, can you please stay healthy? Please, I want to see what you can do. I want to be excited about you. I don't know yet, though. Marcus Wheaton's always dealing with injuries. Ruben Randall's coming in. Victor Cruz now. You know, so this, this is very injury prone. Got a lot of injuries, but they have plenty of depth on this team. And I mentioned it all the time. That's what you have to have if you're a Bears fan. Something to look into for a team that's starting to get close to relevancy is how talented is your depth. You know, 56 guys on a roster, right? Something like that. 55 guys. All of them. They're so every single position piece is 52. It's in the 50s. I'm sorry. It's late. But it's 50. All these guys have to have a specific role that play well into your team. You you saw last year the depth that they were throwing out there. I was just like, who? What? But at the same time, once you acquire all this depth, right, and you, you're in a position where the Bears have been terrible for years. Now, this is going on 2013. I'm calling a bad year, even though they went 8-8 eight and eight and had a chance to make the playoffs. I don't care. That was a bad year. Defense was terrible. 2014 was terrible. 15 was was encouraging, and then last year was terrible, right? So enough of this. We are ready to see something, and this receiver core is definitely something to be excited about, and I think the ad, uh, addition of Victor Cruz adds a little edge to this game. I think I'm most excited about what he brings to Mitch Trubisky, and I think a lot of this, has, a lot of the conversations, a lot of the moves that are made within the Chicago Bears relates to Mitch Trubisky. I think, I think it all has a role in, in where he is and how he eventually turns into the Bears franchise quarterback because that's that's the plan, right? It has to be the plan. So you bring in a guy like Victor Cruz, plenty of experience. He could talk to Mitch Trubisky and work with him and say, this is what you're seeing. This is what goes on in a wide receiver's head and at the NFL level. All of this is valuable, right? Just soak in as much information as you can. And, of course, Victor Cruz can offer help to the other wide receivers in this in this crew. Now, a lot of these guys are kind of bummy. Deontay Thompson and Josh Bellamy, not talking about quality wide receivers here. I mean, they're NFL players, yeah, but that's all. that's as far as I'm going. You know, they, they offer something in the special teams game, but not offensively, right? But everybody else, Kevin White, this could be a very good opportunity for him to learn. Cameron Meredith, another opportunity. Marcus Wheaton could turn, in, turn into a very solid slot receiver, 
Ruben Randall could come back to relevancy somewhat. Who knows, right? This is, it's all about the optimism here, folks, here on Behind the Pet and the Bears. Because that's like in, in my other conversation that I had in Major League Baseball. If you're a team of a, re- a rebuilding franchise, you have to have something to latch onto and give me hope. Well, ugh, Bears, it's time to show me. Show me that we're going in the right direction as a franchise, as a fan of a franchise for all my life. Give me something. And I think this Victor Cruz signing is pretty solid. I mean, at this point, right? Because he offers a lot. And he could potentially turn into a major playmaker. But I want to mention this. And I talked about Trubisky and the impact that this potentially could have on his learning, plate, slate, brain. Um, you know, now that Jay Cutler's out of the picture, and I have to bring up Jay Cutler because I'm a huge Jay Cutler fan. I think you guys know that by now. I've been a Jay Cutler supporter. I'll defend him till the sun doesn't rise in the morning, right? But without him now, and I think he had something to do with kind of just the lull. I, I don't know if you guys got the same kind of feel that I did, right? When I watch the Bears and you, you look at the quarterback position, that's where you look for the fire, the passion, the leadership, and all that. Jay Culler wasn't going to bring it. We saw him on the sideline get into it with Pernell McPhee on that Monday night game where he was terrible against Philadelphia last year, even when Pernell McPhee was in street clothes. You know, it's just sort of the atmosphere in in the locker room was kind of just at a meh. Did it have to do with something with Jay Culler being in the building? You know, because that's the guy you're looking to to lead your franchise. No, no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The quarterback position, you have to have somebody that the entire locker room is going to look at and believe in and want to play for and want to play hard for. I'm not saying Jay Culler was the reason why they they were terrible last year because really he didn't have much influence on the season because he wasn't playing much, right? He was hurt. And I don't know. I, I think it's just a different feel now that Jay Cutler is gone, right? It's not as meh. It's more like, woo! Because Mitch Trubisky and Mike Lennon. Or it's kind of like, eh, because there's like this awkwardness between the two. Uh Uh-oh, you know, Trubisky was drafted. Glennon was told he was going to be the starter. The two didn't know about each other. They really didn't know that this was going to happen because Ryan Pace talked to no one. Mitch Trubisky didn't even know he was going to get drafted by the Bears. Mike Glennon was told he was going to be the starter, and now they draft a franchise quarterback, and they're like, oh, no, what about me? Right? But we'll say this. I think people are sleeping on Mike Mike Lennon a little bit. I'm going to give him some some credit, some props. I think he can do okay for the Bears, and not nothing spectacular. I think he can be a middle of the road, average NFL quality starting quarterback. He can. He's got the size. He's got the tools. He's got the arm strength, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but his accuracy for the intermediate routes, I think, is going to play a huge role in the success of the Bears team. For a guy in his first full offseason, that's all I'm saying, right? First full offseason, knowing that it's his team, he can do what he wants. He has an opportunity to showcase his skill set to the rest of the NFL because quarterbacks are, of course, a premium in the game. So, hey, don't sleep on Mike Lennon. Don't hate on Mike Lennon until he's absolutely terrible, and then you can hate him all you want. But I think with his wide receiver core, he's got some weapons to mess around with, and he could have success. And this offense really, I focused all on the wide receivers in this conversation. A little quarterback talk, of course, got to sprinkle that in there, but this Chicago Bears offense is going to be mainly run first and you know play action, screen game, intermediate route game, not going to rely on the big play for wide receivers downfield as much. They're going to be involved in it. They have to be, of course. You have to get it downfield, but it, this is a typical Chicago Bears scheme. 
run first, throw later. And, well, you got Mike Glennon. So we'll see what happens. But this Victor Cruz signing overall has a lot of benefits. A very low-risk deal. You know, $4 million, I believe, is the uh, eventual number that he could potentially earn. Highly incentive-based. So he's got to stay on the field. He's got to perform. So that's enough for Cruz to, well, give the Bears what he gets or what he can give. And the Bears can take and reap the benefits because, hey, anything at this point is a positive. But the invaluable nature that is the Victor Cruz signing is what he can bring to behind the scenes and the, the playbook and in the minds of his respective wide receivers and as well as specifically Mitch Trubisky because that's the whole point is Mitch Trubisky, right? Or is it Mitchell? Uh, it doesn't matter. Mitch, Mitchell, same thing. But guys, whew, that'll do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it off there. I'm going to cut it off there. Chicago Bears conversation was the last segment here on Behind the Pen this week. Talked a lot of Major League Baseball. Talked about the unwritten rules. I talked about Albert Pujols. I gave him a lot of love. I checked up on the standings in Major League Baseball. And, of course, the Victor Cruz and Chicago Bears signing. If you're on Blog Talk Radio, thank you so much for sticking around. Be sure to share it if you could. Give us a like on YouTube. Most available podcast. Subscribe to our channel and check out mostvailablepodcast.com for all of our po- uh, podcasting content as well as our video. And, and, and we, we hope to entertain you, and that's the goal. And I hope I entertained you on this show. Guys, I will talk to you next week. It was a lot of fun. I am looking forward to it again. And, of course, guys, we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.